0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration
1: Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy, we're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Hey, we're already on episode 98. I'm going to do a little talk about some indigenous women doing some amazing things in the United States.
0: And I'm going
1: to do a deep dive on Florence Nightingale, who is a celebrated nurse who
0: improved public health through her groundbreaking use of gathering data. Yeah. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. And then I'll be talking about Alexis Sawyer, who went to work with Florence Nightingale providing food relief and uh, kind of reminded me of a 1850s Victorian age Jose Andres. <music>
1: so busy lately oh what, my gosh I know what, what's what been a count- too busy what's happening busy. <laughs> in your life I feel like uh, we had a good trip down to the beach oh, we did some hiking yeah. so that was nice and then I've been doing some crazy organizing I got into the home edit show and oh, all of their stuff they have these lines that you can buy online from Walmart oh, cool. that are from the home edit all their clicker uh-huh. acrylic That's pieces awesome. oh my gosh yeah yay so I've been busy a few stories on indigenous people including those losing their homes due to climate change back in episode 17 that feels like forever oh ago God, yeah recently about the clean water issue facing the navajo nation in episode 95 sadly both of those stories you know were inspirational attesting to native americans overcoming hardship which Native tribes have been doing for centuries. The two stories I'm going to talk about tonight are inspirational stories of Indigenous women who are boldly moving into areas that have traditionally been off-limits for Native Americans. They're setting new role models for thousands of Indigenous girls, which I am so excited about. Just last month, And I texted you about this. In a hotly contested special election in Alaska, Mary Patola defeated Sarah Palin, who previously ran for vice president back in 2008 with John McCain, and was the governor for Alaska from 2006 to 2009. Mary will be heading to Washington, D.C. to serve in the House of Representatives to replace Representative Don Young, who died in March after holding the seat for 49 years. She'll be, you know, she'll have to be reelected in November to hold the seat, but Mary, who's a Democrat, won this seat and it's been held by a Republican for almost 50 years. Wow. But what's cool is that Mary Patola is the first Native American to be elected to Congress to represent Alaska.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Alaska has a large Native American population and it's just about time that they elected right. an indigenous person to represent Alaska, I think. I'm yeah, so assured. So prior to running for Congress, Mary has served as a state representative and was executive director of the Kuskowim River Inner Tribe Fish Commission. Mary's a proud member of the Yupik Tribe, the largest single tribe in Alaska, with around 34,000 tribe members. Patola ran a pro-choice campaign and brought awareness to issues regarding ocean productivity, which I love, food security, another thing close to our hearts, and issues vitally important to people in Alaska and the rest of the world. Another amazing Native American woman is heading to space.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: You probably have already read about this, but astronaut Nicole Annapuman is heading to be a mission commander on the rocket to the International Space Station on September 29th. She's pretty much going to be in charge of all aspects of the mission as the mission commander, and they'll be flying in a SpaceX Dragon spaceship when they head to the space station. Three other astronauts will be flying with her. Nicole, a member of the Wallachie of the Round Valley Indian Tribes, is from California. She studied mechanical engineering at Stanford, so she's wow, obviously a smart awesome. cookie. She then joined the Marine Corps as a fighter pilot and has worked her way up to Colonel. She's flown off aircraft carriers, which are extremely dangerous, in combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. She'll spend time up in the International Space Station conducting experiments, NASA says this crew will be working on 250 specific experiments that will help life on Earth as well as advance our space exploration. Nicole Onapuman is also part of an eight-member class of astronauts slated to go to the moon and possibly Mars. Nicole is only allowed to bring 3.3 pounds. I know, 1.4 kilograms for personal items on the mission. I can't. That's, that's very light. I mean, it's super light. I don't know what you would even think. I'm uh, just
0: thinking about your products.
1: Yeah. yeah. So included in her belongings will be a dream catcher. Her mother made her when she was wow. very young. In the Native American culture, dream catchers symbolize unity and provide protection. And oh, I love so that. Very sweet. Yeah. She's very excited to be the first Native American woman into space. She said, I think it's important that we communicate this to our community so that other Native kids realize that some of those barriers that used to be out there are really starting to get broken down. I just think it's an awesome show of girl power and what a shining example for all kids, oh especially indigenous children. Yeah.
0: I saw this article recently from Scientific America on my news feed about Florence Nightingale. Scientific America, I know, I need to. Like it was that. in there, yeah. It was kind of cool. So, um, you know, who's a celebrated nurse who improved public health through her groundbreaking use of gathering data. She's often depicted in paintings or sketches holding a lamp, and she's fondly known as the Lady in the Lamp. So I, I was curious, so I thought I would find more about this woman who is clearly ahead of her time. I'm so excited you're doing this. I will not have to read my Florence Nightingale book now. Oh, there but. you go. <laughs> her parents, Fanny and William Nightingale, married, Fanny. I know married, married in the summer of 1818, William Nightingale inherited from his great uncle, Mad Peter Nightingale. So I don't know if he was just kind of was a crazy his... guy oh, yeah. or what, but... I really hope that was not his given name. No, I don't think it was. <laughs> but he inherited Leah Purse estate, the surrounding building and property in Derbyshire, England. It's about a three-hour car ride from London, just to give you some perspective. But plus, he inherited a hundred thousand British pounds, which is worth close to ten million U.S. dollars today. Wow. They went on a very long honeymoon, long enough to start a family. Wow! <laughs> and have two daughters. More than a honeymoon. Kind of crazy. Their firstborn daughter was born in Naples and named for the Greek settlement, Parthenope. Kind of a different name. Mm-hmm. She also went by pop sometimes. Once she was, you know, strong enough, they moved on to Florence, and where you guess it, Florence was born. Ah! Oh, a name for the I beautiful city. Eventually the Nightingales made their way back to England where the two with the two little girls, The little girls had a governess who taught them needlepoint penmanship, <laughs> drawing, and poetry. At the time, there wasn't a law requiring children to attend school, and there really was no public, formal public education. And it's hard to believe, but common thought at the time was that girls lacked a boy's intelligence, and that too much studying was seen as unladylike. Oh my gosh! I know it's, it's so just kind of crazy yeah. to think about it. Not kind of crazy; it's really you know, full crazy. On crazy. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. we're talking one hundred seven. Wow! Well, you know, yeah, a while later, but. After their governors left to marry, their father took over their studies. And fortunately, he didn't agree with common belief that women were less intelligent. In fact, he taught them Latin, classic Greek, history, geography, Italian, English, grammar, and composition. Oh, Dad. I know. And Florence excelled. By age 16, she was tackling chemistry, physics, astronomy, and philosophy. William and Fanny focused readying their girls for high society and marriage. Parthenope made her formal entrance in society at a momentous event where she curtsied before King William IV. Kind of a different time. She was dressed to show off like all her best features, you know, all in hopes of marrying well. The Nightingales had added pressure. If their daughters didn't produce a male heir, their entire estate would go to William's sister, May. Uh, that was per his uncle's will. Dallas. So it's kind of a different time period, yeah. you know. Their mother, Fanny, did a lot of charity work bring food and clothing to poor villages nearby. The The girls followed her example, especially Florence. She would spend hours with the sick and dying. Her mom would go out looking for her with the lantern, <laughs> and often Florence would refuse to come home for dinner. Aww. Florence also nursed back animals to health. There's a story of her stopping boys throwing rocks at an injured uh, shepherd collie named Cap. Florence took him to a nearby church, and the reverend examined the dog and said Cap would recover, and the dog spent the rest of his life as an active, you know, sheepdog. Yay. Cute story. But Florence's desire to help the sick in need was endless. In 1837, influenza struck their estate in nearby village. Florence worked tirelessly taking care of her family members, servants, and even checked on nearby neighbors in the village. A few months later, you know, she felt like God spoke to her, calling her. She wasn't sure what he had in mind, but she just felt this call. And part of Parthenope and Florence's final phase of their ed- education, the family went on an extensive <laughs> year and a half long trip to, wow. to Europe. And that's kinda of where Florence's interest in Data began on this trip where she kept detailed notes about mm. distances between cities, the family's arrival and departure times and other pieces of information she thought
1: worth recording. So she had that math brain. She brains, sure. yeah, I
0: was going. They traveled throughout France and Italy and a brief stay in Switzerland. I mean, I just am just amazed at their lifestyle. But no kidding, I couldn't imagine. Lucky girl being gone that long, you yeah. know. Finally back in England, uh, Florence had her momentous debut. Uh, she curtsy. She didn't curtsy for William IV because he had passed away from heart failure. His niece, Prince, Princess Victoria, became queen at just eighteen, and that began the Victorian Age. Um, That's crazy to me as well. It is eighteen really, years old. I know. It's, wow. it's I found it really fascinating. Even though uh, Florence Upring was designed for her to marry, she wasn't interested. I mean, she wanted to go to college like her cousin Henry, who studied at Cambridge. Her parents wouldn't hear anything about that crazy idea. However, she did talk her parents into a mathematics tutor. I mean, she was just desperate to have some sort of education, her education. Florence had suitors. However, she felt there was no equality in marriage. Plus, she believed that God had called her to serve the sick. Uh, she put a bold plan together to spend three months at Salisbury Infirmary, a hospital close by, where she hopefully could just pursue, you know, training to be a nurse. The idea was totally shot down by her parents. Her sister strongly opposed Florence's desire to be a nurse because she's, you know, it went against social norms um, for women at the time. It bo- was that because
1: working? Yeah, working. Just women working. didn't oh, okay. work. Okay.
0: And it bothered her so much she became sick, even though the doctors that examined her said it was all in her head. Um, so this was kind of this would be ongoing for their mm-hmm. family. It created a strife in the Nightingale household. Florence wanted a life of purpose. She decided to live kind of a double life. She'd be getting up early while everyone's sleeping to study like hospital reports and health. <laughs> I guess she could attain these, you know. But she'd get these these papers and kind of no. review them, and then she'd yeah. act normal during yeah. the day. Uh, even still, I mean, Florence felt bored and unfulfilled. Family friends, the uh, Bracebridges, invited her to go to Italy. And uh, they sure traveled a lot, my gosh, yeah. you know. But while they were there, they met another couple, the Herberts, who took a liking to Florence and her interest in nursing. They offered to take her uh, to tour the Italian hospitals where she found patients, you know, crowded together and the horrible stench. So she's kind of gathering, like, what does hospitals look like mm-hmm. at this time? Um, around
1: the different places that she's visiting. She's
0: traveling, yeah. She's constantly looking for ways to learn more about, about nursing. Mm-hmm. She had a heart for the service for those on the street. One night after attending an evening prayer at St. Peter's, she met a little girl begging. She ended up enrolling the little girl in a common school and paid her tuition for years. Mm. After Italy, they traveled to Germany where she toured Kaiserworth. It was a Protestant sisterhood that served God through terrible work. It maintained an orphanage, a school, and a home for women prisoners returning to society, and a hospital. Florence observed the teachers at work at the school and went on rounds with the apothecary.
1: Um, <laughs> the women prisoners—that would be an interesting book in itself. I know. At I that, that time, the crimes that in that
0: time period, what that would look yeah. like. Um. Yeah, so after her visit at Kaiserworth, she just felt invincible, like ready to take it on. But then she gets back home to England and kind of returns to that normal Victorian age life. And uh, she felt feeling like a... Feeling stifled. F- just stifled she couldn't do anything, and yeah. lack of purpose. Poor thing, because she wants, she to, do wants to do that. She wants to do something. And she even... They even talk about in the book of her feeling suicidal. Um, her parents worried about her and sent her to help her friends who just had their third child. And she met... Elizabeth Blackwell, who's the world's first licensed female physician, and I smiled because my daughter Lucy dressed up as Elizabeth Blackwell and wrote a speech on her in third grade for the school's uh, wax museum. Did your kids do that?
1: A oh, wax museum—that yeah. is so
0: cool. So they all dressed up in period, you know, pe- people costumes, in costumes, and, costumes yeah. and you walk go around the whole school. They, sp- you yes. know, spread them out with posters, and they memorize the speech. Mm-hmm. And I remember my sister got her the, the little white coat. And it was yeah. just, I don't know, it just oh. wore my heart to we, read yes. about that. So that, that is really cool. But anyways, it was a transformative encounter for Florence. Elizabeth Blackwell encouraged Florence' pursuit of nursing. Later, she invited her. And I'm laughing to myself because yet another tour of a <laughs> hospital. <laughs> but I think it was her only way... Of gathering information about and healthcare and about like nursing, yeah. there was nothing formal. So she also attended a lecture on the political economy. So she's always just trying to learn. Oh, yeah, you know Florence didn't want to be a doctor by any means. She really felt nurses did more than doctors to help patients recover, and she she was kind of felt like medicine wasn't the cure, but nature was the cure. It was kind of her hmm. mindset once again ahead of the time. Yeah, so yeah. she had kind of a different view perspective. With that. Yeah. And this kind of gave her the idea to convince her parents that mineral waters, like at a German spa, might be helpful for her sister, and then maybe they'd be open to her going to Kaiserworth for some, you know, kind of training. A getaway. And I think her parents agreed, and I think that because there was a shift, I think they were seeing that women, it was more acceptable for women
1: to work mm. in hospitals. Mm-hmm. It just floors me that there was a time where that wouldn't be okay. It wouldn't be but, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. After training, Florence was back in England for a while, and then she got offered a position as a superintendent for a small charity hospital for women, and this is the odd thing to me. I just, I I had to Google it too, because I just didn't believe it, but because she was a woman of means, she would not be paid a salary, so not only she didn't get paid salary, but she'd also have to bring a housekeeper and a chaperone so she had to pay for her spot her dad paid the gave her a yearly allowance to cover the cost but 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 still yeah kind of different times she got a letter of congratulations from elizabeth blackwell that said i look upon your position as a very noble one weakening the barriers of prejudice which hedge in all work for women which i love that yes me too The hospital was dusty and ragged. Florence quickly made it clean, top to bottom. She had new pillowcases and tablecloths made, dumb waiters installed to carry food and supplies floor to floor. She also began taking detailed records of every medication and treatment administrated to the women under her care. She also insisted that women of all faiths should be cared for and their clergymen should be allowed to visit them, which I love her moxie and I love her Inclusiveness, kind of before mm-hmm. it was a thing, yeah. to recognize yeah. different faiths. Faiths, absolutely. Um, and this was during the time when many English Protestant, Protestants, excuse me, still had anti-Catholic attitudes in the 1850s. Which, what, so what was it's kind that? of, a, you know, just to give you a <laughs> mind-boggling. Yeah. After one year, the hospitals ran smoothly, so Florence resigned. Cholera was a horrible disease, and just kind of showed up. It brought about questions, how it spread so quickly. One thought at the time that Florence believed was miasma, which is a theory that rotting vegetables or dead animals released in in the air and caused people to be sick. Florence volunteered at London's Middlesex Hospital, where she supervised the care of cholera patients. Not too long after the cholera crisis subsided, the Crimean War began. Britain was fighting a war on the Crimean Peninsula. For hundreds of years, the city of Constantinople, now known as Istanbul, was a powerful Turkish state that had dominated the Eastern Mediterranean Sea and surrounding land. In 1853, Russian naval forces invaded and destroyed a fleet of Turkish ships. So Britain and France declared war on Russia. Sorry for that little lesson, just no, to give you the Yeah, But it's also interesting to note that's the same territory that Russian President Vladimir Putin seized in 2014 when he first invaded mm-hmm. Ukraine. So to kind of give you just kind of an idea where it's at. Back to 1853, news from the war was making headlines. That wounded soldiers weren't being seen by you know physician in some cases a week. Wow. Florence got an offer from her friend uh, Sydney Herbert asking if she'd be interested in being the superintendent of female nursing establishment. In the English General Military Hospitals in Turkey. Okay, that's, that's a mega title. <laughs> she needs an acronym that's for that That's a huge title. one, yeah, much. for sure. That's a mouthful. She would have authority over employing and supervising 40 nurses, which is a huge mm-hmm. undertaking. Mm-hmm. Florence quickly set up in Herbert's London home, interviewing and hiring a team of nurses. I love her thought process, taking in consideration that a third of the British soldiers were Irish. So she felt it was important to have Roman Catholic nuns as nurses to offer the spiritual support Absolutely. As well. After she arrived at Sukkoteri Hospital in Crimea, she was horrified at the conditions. Many soldiers were on the cement floor, half dead from the cold weather. The smell and sound of the men writhing in pain was almost unbearable. It was meant to hold 1,200 patients, but it was overflowing with like two, over 2,000 wounded soldiers. Wow. Well, when Florence went to work, she had a team set up a large room for food storage and turned a smaller room into a kitchen so they could create, you know, cooked broth and, you know, easy-to-digest mm-hmm. food for the men. She scrubbed the walls and floors, and she was not received well by the physicians. Now,
1: why wasn't she received well?
0: I, because I don't think...
1: They thought she was overstepping? A, well, no, because she was a female. Oh, my gosh. You know... Back to, back to that. Yeah, they didn't even The really, thing really, I love They didn't
0: really even acknowledge her... But she, she, that didn't stop her. She persisted her. and she was just quietly caring for the wounded. Um, the soldiers got phased only every 80 days. Oh, my Because gosh. there was no soap. And soon that made headlines oh. of the London Times and a fund was created and monetary donations sent to Florence to purchase supplies uh, to, you know, clean clothes, linens,
1: and soap. Especially these are their soldiers putting their lives on. I think
0: it was just the lack of information, (sighs) lack of understanding, really. And always trying to improve conditions, she found a group of women in a village willing to do the laundry for the hospital. Even though they accomplished a lot, there were still shortages and food was inedible. When another publication, the London Illustrator, ran a story about the food conditions, it caught the attention of French chef Alexis Sawyer. He cooked in London's finest restaurants. He had opened soup kitchens in Mm -hmm. Dublin to feed the starving people during the Irish famine in the 1840s. He knew he could improve the meals being served to the wounded. I just love this. So he got permission from the war office, you know, to send him to Crimea. And after arriving, he went to work on the food, creating soup and chopping the dried meat with some fresh vegetables. He taught the hospital staff how to cook and season,
1: which, you know, it seems so obvious as, we, as I'm yeah, writing yeah. this, but it's, it just wasn't common well, practice no. back And then. this just sounds so much like Andres. It so just, I can yeah, see funny. why, yeah, uh, the correlation there. Back in England, a new prime minister
0: was elected, Lord uh, Palmerston, and, and he was eager to make changes. He created a sanitary commission to be sent to Crimea, With repairs and improvements made to the hospital, Florence and the nurses focused on sanitation with the convalescing soldiers. You know, they were constantly wiping down surfaces, you know, putting clean clothes on the soldiers.
1: The death toll was reduced by 80%. Wow. And then it just continued to decline. See, what I knew about Florence is, that's the part I read about her, was that she brought sanitation into the hospital. Right. right. She saw
0: that. Even that, in her travels yeah. prior, the, in, yeah. when she was, before she was... In so her, already yeah. I
1: loved her for just that yeah, aware. <laughs> but 80%. I wow. know.
0: Florence would spend hours over men dying of cholera fever or wounded. Um, she took rounds at night with her lamp, and that's how she got known as the lady with the lamp. Florence was becoming a bit of a celebrity, even though she didn't want anything to do with that. She's trying to maintain high standards mm-hmm. and wanted to check on other hospitals on the Crimean Peninsula, and this would be a, like a 300-mile trip if she took this tour of other hospitals. And many say she shouldn't have gone. She was worn out from – she spent 20 hours a day caring for oh, the God. sick and running this hospital. She went I mean, anyways. Both sides, for sure. Yeah, she went anyways, and unfortunately she came down with a Crimean fever. It's a bacterial illness that people get they're eating milk or meat of an infected animals. And back then, it just—it was a disease people would not recover from. I wonder
1: when it would be considered today.
0: I don't know, but they said it's treatable with, you know... Mm-hmm, antibiotics. Yeah, today. So, she would never be entirely well again. and But she never let her sickness stop her. She just shifted her focus to writing. She recorded the hospital's uh, statistics, drafted reports, answered worry inquiries from, like, patients' loved ones. She also wrote condolence letters to families of soldiers who had died. As the war came to an end, back home in England after the two years... She spent two years there. Wow. And that war was only three years long, so pretty significant work. Mm-hmm. Portion of the war. Yeah. Florence worked on improving health care in the Army. She, uh, she met with Queen Victoria and discussed the mismanagement that caused the horrific conditions in the Army camps and hospitals. Her illness confined her from working most of the time from the bed. She had no official position, nor was she paid... Yet she had a huge impact on the actions of government. Even though women weren't voting yet, she was known as the Nightingale Power. Oh, that's love. I mean, you know, it's really amazing. We need to start using that yeah. term. Florence had taken careful notes while she was in Crimea. Her evidence showed the army had caused thousands of soldiers to die needlessly from disease and exposure. An investigative group even looked at soldiers stationed at home during peace. And this is unfathomable, but soldiers' mortality rate was twice as high as civilians. And that was due to crowded barracks, drunkenness, and poor sanitation. It's so simple, but, Mm -hmm. you know. Her final report was over 800 pages, full of statistics and numerical tables, this began her groundbreaking use of statistics to reveal trends in healthcare, which helped lawmakers get a glance at the problems that she identified. Mm-hmm. Finally, Florence started the Nightingale School of Nursing, which opened its doors in 1860. She used the Nightingale Fund established during the Crimean War, so tuition was free. During training, they received 10-pound wages and room and board. This was the first non-religious nursing school. And Florence's desire to help improve conditions for all didn't stop with the military. She championed for improvements for better conditions for workhouses. Workhouses were for those who were unable to support themselves, so they worked in exchange for accommodations. Mm -hmm. Workers did a variety of manual jobs like chalkwood, break up stones for road making or pulverize animal bones for fertilizer. So,
1: serious um, serious labor. Hard serious work,
0: hard yeah. labor. And the infirmaries on site of these workhouses were run by untrained staff, mm. so which led to unnecessary harm to the patients. Yeah. They didn't know what they were doing. And, and Florence believed that workhouses punished people for being poor and wanted to reform the entire national system For housing the poor. I just, I love this lady's gumption.
1: Once again, ahead of the time. No kidding.
0: I mean, this led to Parliament amending the poor law, ensuring that workhouse residents needing hospital care would receive it. So she just lived a full life, you know, of service. And I looked, I don't think the woman ever got paid. But, I mean, after this full life of service, Florence died on August thirteenth, 1910, in her sleep at age 90. 90. 90. Nine. Wow. Which is so impressive. Yeah. And her groundbreaking use of data to examine health trends led to, you know, healthcare reforms and really changed the course of medicine. I admire her devotion to improving living conditions for all people. She brought awareness to the importance of sanitation. Good nutrition, too, is part of the patient's treatment Mm -hmm. plan. She was so far ahead of her time, and Florence for sure is an icon. She's a trailblazer leading the charge for women in the workplace. All I can say is thank you, Flo. I love it. Wise and humane management of the patient is the best safeguard against infection. Florence Nightingale. I so enjoyed learning about the amazing Florence Nightingale. Me too. Thank you for that. Uh, You know, as I was researching her, I came across French chef Alexis Sawyer, who wrote the war office to, you know, to feed the British soldiers during the Crimean War, and was working with Florence until the war ended to provide nutritious meals to the wounded soldiers. He reminded me of episode 89, when we talked about Jose Andres and the World Central Kitchen, you know, World Central Kitchen mission to bring food relief uh, and crisis which he and his team have done all over the world, from Haiti, Puerto Rico, Ukraine, and most recently, the catastrophic flooding in Kentucky. And then I just got an email this week, so I had to throw this in, that World Central Kitchen has served over 140 million meals to wow. the people
1: of Ukraine. Just Ukraine. Just Ukraine. That's so amazing. that's
0: pretty awesome. Yeah. But this inspired me to learn more about Alexis Sawyer. Quite possibly, the first celebrity chef, I think. (laughs) Alexis moved to London from France in 1831. At just 21, he'd already served as the French Prime Minister's personal chef. And he quickly rose to head chef of the Reform Club, which, I love this, which was the political headquarters of the Liberal Party. (laughs) It was a place for progressive thinking and social change. I mean... Wow. And And he was serving those people. Yeah. And of course, fine cuisine. Um, I learned that Alexis Sawyer's legacy of innovation and culinary excellence continues in their kitchen today, which is super cool. That's 170 years ago. (laughs) Another guy ahead of his time. Yeah. Just like Florence. Yeah. He was an innovator. He introduced gas cookers, water-cooled refrigerators, and ovens with adjustable temperatures.
1: He, also he didn't came, invent those. He he found them. Found them. Found yeah. Them and oh, started okay. using them yeah. in his kitchens. Okay. Yeah.
0: He also came up with a field stove to replace these um, outdated kettles that soldiers used to cook their meals on the battlefield. So that was kind of neat. And so it required less wood. Okay. And that was like another Good. thing that yeah. people would have to lug around. I love but it. Beyond his innovation and in culinary expertise, he had a social conscience. Um, he set up a soup kitchen in Ireland during the Great Famine from 1845 to 1852, serving nutritious beef and vegetable soup. He wrote cookbooks with inexpensive but healthy recipes. Uh, He also offered uh, services free of charge um, to poor houses and hospitals. He made food production more efficient and economical. Alexis sounds like another person ahead of his time, as you just But after hearing about the conditions in Crimea, he wanted to help. His first task upon arrival was cleaning the kitchens. He also used the cooking fuel more efficiently to reduce heat and smoke, which was another mm-hmm. problem in like tight mm-hmm. quarters. And he wrote recipes on the walls so other staff members could learn how to prepare these simple, healthy dishes. And he, one of his dishes he was kind of known for was this mutton and barley soup with <laughs> calf's foot jelly but i guess they washed it down he made this Crimean lemonade but he was super resourceful one sounds thing, like it one thing, <laughs> he, one thing he did this is really cool that when when they would use cooking water often they would just throw it out right. instead he he repurposed it for the stock of the soup oh so he wasn't no, wasting, so he was wasting the trying water trying to start that now again and, yeah and then fat from the water because they didn't have butter, kind of became a butter substitute. So I just love this man's creativity and his heart for helping those in need, like Jose Andres. Mm-hmm. But bringing a warm meal to those in crisis, and after all, it's food is love. Yeah, I do Absolutely. There is no limit to what we, as women, can accomplish. Michelle Obama. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has
1: all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.